So, in our study group, when there are five, six, seven people who are uh, meeting together or in one, whether physically or otherwise, what, uh, when we read Savitri, there is a, I mean, is there a, is there a guidance regarding like how much of each, how much each person should like? For example, if we read a page, it should become a bit too much. It just feels too much at the end of it. It's so what, in your experience, would be uh, any guidance? I mean, it's an open question, actually. But I would suggest that uh, each person read a small passage that touches them most deeply. And there are many passages, so you have to have many copies of Savitri at hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second thing I find generally is that people read Savitri too quickly, too rapidly. Um, we must understand that even an article used by Sri Aurobindo has been used with absolute consciousness. If he uses the or and, it's intended to be there. There's nothing superfluous. Every, every word has to have its own weight. So reading more slowly and not so much because, because <clears throat> savagery has to be taken within and, and, and stay away from mentalizing it. So I would say small passages that, are, that, are deep, that deeply connect to each person. So not in serial order. Not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. So each person has to pre-prepare before and have some passage. I think that would be best, because then they'll also recite it properly. Many times we, we come in, and I've heard people say, there is something, but the accent, Sri Aurobindo shifted to the word there. There this is, and there this other thing is. Not there is. So, yes, prepare. <clears throat> prepare. Follow up to Uday's question. Uh, do you think it is uh, better to read it out loud? Or is it uh, Always out loud. No, but but if you study the composition of a line, see in his letters on yoga, Sri Aurobindo <clears throat> says that not only each line has to be perfect in itself, but it has to be perfect with the next line and the entire phrase. So you have to read it out loud to, to see where the emphasis falls, where the, where the meaning falls. And that comes only with a lot of practice, a lot of, a lot of reading of Savitri. I wouldn't say practice, because it will come almost spontaneously if you keep reading Savitri. I, I would ask everyone here, uh, all of you who come next year, 
please bring a copy of Savitri so that you can read along. It, it will be very, very helpful. It will, it will raise the whole aspiration of, of our group. Yes, uh, Emmett. Sometimes, now that just for me, like you said, reads one passage. Sometimes for me, I just don't want to stop. It just goes in the flow, and I can read pages and pages about it. But then I have to stop because I mentally tell me, oh, Yes, and that you can do on your own. Read as long as you want. But when you're in a collective group, I think you have to be aware of everyone. Yes. Along with reading passages and so on, there are many times some explanations, commentaries available. Uh, Should one read that either before or after it, or it should be read separately or not connect with the reading of the Savitri? That's, that's a very good question. A, you know, as you said, the magazine is coming out. Uh, very good question. So on. I think if you're in a study group and you want to understand a passage and it has been explained by Alok or Shradalu or someone, uh, read the passage, have a concentration, and then read an explanation. Don't mix it up. I want to switch the context a little bit. uh, And I ask you in the break, uh, there's also Sri Aurobindo's Gayatri. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, and traditionally, obviously, the Vishwamitra Gayatri. Maybe somebody can, or Alamji can explain why there was a need and what is that, how is it significantly different than the traditional Vishwamitra Gayatri? The need was uh, a certain context. The need, the need why this Gayatri came out or took birth, Sri Gayatri, was because um, Durai Swami Ayer wanted his son to get Yadgopavit Sanskar. And he refused. And finally he said, okay, if Sri gives me the Gayatri Mantra, then I will I agree. So it was in that context that the Gayatri came. And um, well, we know that Gayatri is basically a meter, a certain meter. So both the mantras are in that meter. But in in the in Vishwamitra's Gayatri, of course there is the invocation of the sun, but essentially to illumine the mind. Whereas in Shurbindu's Gayatri, essentially it is, the mo- first of all, the most auspicious form. Tat Savitur Varam Rupam. The most uh, coveted form. And then, it's the whole being should change into that image. So there, that, there is that subtle difference, which is a very, has far-reaching consequences. But very few people know that, you know, very often we talk about, uh, is the iPad there with someone? I'm sorry, but collected works. And, and best in parentheses, I think, is very huh? interesting that he put best yeah. in parentheses. Best in parentheses. Yeah. Volume 2, collected works of mother. Mm-hmm. And just Google search intellectual life of the universe, but just intellectual life. You know, it's very interesting that very often Shurabindu's Gayatri, 
is translated by people and yes there is a translation to it <laughs> but very few got it very few people know that there is um, since it's an occasion there is a gayatri given by the mother it's not gayatri meter but the mother has given the sense of shurabindo's gayatri before shurabindo has given the gayatri mantra Anyone knows where it is? <laughs> okay, we know the Gayatri mantra given by Shurabindu. I am talking of the Gayatri. Om Tat Savitur Varam Rupam Jyotihi Parasadhimahi Yannaha Satyena Deepaya. And there is a literal translation of it. But as Shurabindu has said, translation has to be not just literal, but something that evokes the same aspiration, the same feeling, the same soul state. When you translate it, who can do that? Mother. When has she done it? 1911. She doesn't use the word Gayatri. But she concludes a talk on thought. And just see, I'll read out these lines and you will feel the same spirit embodied in this. I would like all to make, I would like us to make the resolution to raise ourselves each day in all sincerity and goodwill in an ardent aspiration. Now this is the background she has given. What is the state of reading this? Towards the son of truth. Towards the supreme light. The source and intellectual life of the universe. So that it may pervade us entirely and illumine with its great brilliance our minds and hearts, all our thoughts and actions. Beautiful. Yes. 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 Beautiful. This is the mother's Gayatri. This is the mother's Gayatri. <laughs> Before she met Sri Aurobindo. Before she met Sri Aurobindo. Is that before she met Sri Aurobindo? Of course, yeah. three years before. Beautiful. Look what a correspondence and what identity of consciousness there is. Hello, please. Is this, uh, um, are we talking about this one mantra or is it No, no, one mantra. The question kind of relates to this mantra. See, the background maybe, uh, I mean, we should... There is a Gayatri mantra well known given by Swami uh, Rishi Vishwamitra, which is very famous, well known. So there is also a Gayatri mantra given by Shurabindo. So the question was, you know, how the two are related. <coughs> but this I just brought in that, you know, when we meditate, we have to have that state of consciousness, that aspiration. So Mother not only gives the Gayatri, Literally, it is the Gayatri Mantra. Exactly the same sense. But in Shurabindo's Gayatri? No, it's a different, uh, it's just the meter is same. Otherwise, the first Gayatri Mantra is Om Bhur Bhuaswa. Shurabindo is Om no, Tat Savitur Varam Rupam. The whole mantra is different. It's not just last three words. The no, traditional. I think the, the Gayatri mantra and the Gayatri mantra 
No, the, all the words are different. I mean, there is a correspondence. Gayatri is the meter. Om Bhur Bhuaswa Tat Savitur Varenyam Bhargo Devasya Dhimahi Dhyo Yona Prachodayat. Shobindoji is Tat Savitur Varam Rupam Jyotihi Parasya Dhimahi Yannaha Satyena Deepayat. They are both invoking the Son of Truth. Savita. So there is the common element. Now, whereas with Rishi Vishwamitra, he is invoking to illumine the mind. Dhyo, Yonaha Prachodayat. Whereas Shurabindo is invoking to pervade, to literally in the whole being. And he is also invoking the most auspicious, the best, as you know, in parenthesis. Because there are levels of the supramental Within the supermind itself, there are, Sivabindu speaks of seven sons of the supermind. <laughs> he speaks about three kinds of activities of the supermind. So for us, of course, I mean, supermind itself is <laughs> too much. So mother puts it in her own way. Yes. Can you give us some background on the current uh, Prime Minister of India, and how he is viewed upon by ashramites or from a spiritual standpoint, what your take on it is? My take on it is that Shurabindo um, said a hundred years back the sun of India will rise and overflow Asia and overflow, overflow India and overflow Asia and overflow the world. My take is that the sun has risen or began to rise. And I had a very beautiful experience for myself. Uh, I can share that. Most ashram inmates I know of, some very old ones, that includes me, not the old ones, but among those who voted for the first time. <laughs> I also voted for the first time. And all that we knew is that we got to vote this sign <laughs> That's all. Why? Because Modi ji ka is a connection. So there was definitely a Modi wave which was denied by the former Prime Minister and beautifully responded to by the present <laughs> Prime Minister. When the former Prime Minister was asked, what do you have to say about the Modi wave? He said, there is no, no, no such wave. It's a creation of the media. <laughs> then the present Prime Minister gave a very beautiful reply. He said he doesn't see the way. He doesn't see even corruption right under the nose. <laughs> and from I, I followed his speeches on the television. Many things he has said are clearly in line with Shurabindo's thought. Even his things like center state correspondence, the close closeness. In fact, he is creating a federal structure without calling it so. He is actually creating a federal structure of governance without naming it because naturally it's not part of the constitution, number one. De facto again because one man becomes so important, it has again become a federal structure, both ways. <laughs> and I had a feeling that India finally shook off the bond of slavery or the slave mentality. I'll tell you why, not because of just the... See, so far the policies were 
that uh, there were so few people who were dependent upon the government who would say okay this much i give to you this i give to you this i give to you like zamindars and people would say please my bap you give me 5 years hence down the line i'll vote for you so they were never empowered they were like slaves unwittingly so in the whole electoral process this this is how it was working operating sobs more and more sobs more and more sobs so the sense of nation was not there you know it makes people very selfish when you give them sobs because you know now they are not concerned about nation they are interested in their selfish interest here is a man who is shaken that whole thing no sobs but environment where everybody who wishes to rise can rise <coughs> a very beautiful thing he has given done and this whole thing about you know starting with cleaning the ganges which is a symbol of cleaning the governance e governance taking off unnecessary ministries which were literally a burden both on the exchequer as well as you know um, it you know too many people means uh, no decision will be taken red tape is a bureaucracy all that is out now and uh, the best part which is the funny part you know there there was they used to have cartoons of all kinds so <laughs> soon after mr modi is uh, becoming prime minister he you know he is like that no more 9 to 5 it's 5 to 9 <laughs> work <laughs> morning 5 till night night so you know they had a cartoon that all the ministers are all sleepy and you know suddenly is all of them wake up they start running jogging yoga pranayam <laughs> so just like our conference by the time it's night 9 or 10 o'clock they say oh no time to do any nonsense people have started coming to offices this was reported otherwise many ministers were never coming to offices for weeks they were defunct ministries so many things i mean you ask me and he has done it plenty of them which are very very beautiful and directly in the line of mother shivendra take for instance the hindu muslim problem very beautifully shorbindo said something long back that you have to regard the muslims as brothers but if you follow in fact he says shorbindo if you follow the congress policy of appeasement it is not going to work you have to meet with strength as equals provide equal opportunity to so he said that you see that's how he could manage gujarat so beautifully like 12 years no riots practically with the, gujarat was a hub of riots why because he made it very clear if you no nonsense attitude if you create nuisance whether hindu or muslim i don't take it but if you want to participate in progress everybody is welcome so everybody realized wonderful because people started progressing and they became rich lot of muslims from gujarat came out in support of uh, mr modi so i mean any amount of um, up till now everything that he has done seems to point in the right direction and in the direction of shorbindo and the mother i am also told that when somebody wanted to uh, give him mother's blessing packet he took out his purse and showed look she is protecting me <laughs> so many words so where did you come from this yeah yeah this is directly i am forgetting my, the name of this my niece has gone there huh my niece had gone uh-huh. the packet yeah yeah so they are all yeah yeah ah. so now you have right from the yeah so your niece she's here huh. so she visited her with her husband visited gujarat huh. and he was a cm at that time 
and uh, she said, okay, let's go and meet Modi and talk about it and all that. So they had discussions, and then she thought, this is a blessing packet for you. <laughs> so he obviously accepted, but then he took it out of his own pocket and said, okay, I also carry this one with me. <laughs> you know, I, My I, day I, begins with her. Yes. <laughs> I had also met him. She is uh, his protection. A few years back. And he's very quiet now. Very quiet. No, another thing very interesting he said. Oh, I'm sorry. Just one, one thing where, you know, he was, uh, when he went through a very difficult time <coughs> and um, some of his colleagues were going through a, through a very difficult time, one of them was Amit Shah. Again, much maligned like him. So, Amit Shah said, you know, when I went to Modi ji to tell him, you know, this what is happening, they are throwing all these allegations at me and all this, he told him, you know, when, what gave me strength Swami Vivekananda says that you should practice equanimity. And he gave him this advice that you should practice equanimity. Now, you know, this is not a human advice. <laughs> or a political one. <laughs> or a political one. <laughs> now, this I am talking of six, seven years back, this event incident has taken place. I mean, leaving aside the other things which are well known, you know, Amit Shah's grandfather's connection with Sri Aurobindo or, uh, you know, uh, Rajnath's speech where Sri Aurobindo is mentioned. But this is on the right track. Another thing which many people may or may not know, uh, Bharatiya Janata Party is a, um, you know, metamorphosis of Jansang. Jansang was the origin. Now, Jansang was born, it's, it's the unique party, it has been the big national party which was born post-independence. A point which Modiji repeatedly spoke of in his speeches and it's a very interesting point how he observed it. And it was born in the same year that Shurabindo International University Center opened. Shyama Prasad Mukherjee, the founder, he had come to the ashram and he gave a convocation speech. It's a wonderful speech if somebody has read it. It's a lovely speech. And uh, the same year, in September, October, he started the Jansan. After two years, because he fought against the idea that in Kashmir you, have, you need a special permission to enter, you can't go, you know, because of uh, several restrictions, he took it as a challenge that, no, it's an integral part of India and I'm going to go there and let's see who stops me. So he entered Kashmir and he was arrested. And he was arrested and where he fell sick and he died under mysterious circumstances. So people uh, went and... Um, complained, they asked Nehru to hold a you know proper inquiry but he, Nehru refused flatly he said no, 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 I know, I have checked up everything it's all normal, he died normally the best part is interesting part comes now there is a mention of it in the agenda mother says there was one man who could have turned around the country he came here and he addressed the convocation after two years, he died in Kashmir. No, she doesn't use the word died. He went to Kashmir where he was assassinated. This is in the agenda? Agenda. Wow. Except mentioning the name, though name is mentioned in the footnote. Obviously, you know, see, there was one man who could have turned around. So you see, the whole party itself sprang up from this man's consciousness is who he who actually started and that it has metamorphosed into Bharatism. So there is a lot of link deep inside with Shurabindo's touch. Many of these people even of uh, RSS had come to Shurabindo 
and in one of the meetings it was a closed door meeting where nobody was allowed to be present not even champaklalji so <laughs> there, there, there is a whole occult side to this phenomena which we may not understand and it's not about one man it's about something which is working of course i always <coughs> caution after saying all this don't pin hopes on a human being however wonderful instrument he may be our hopes are on the divine so he is carrying this when ashwini kumar dutt died in uh, uh, you know during the freedom struggle premature death there is a wonderful speech of shirbindo where he says ashwini kumar dutt has died so everybody in a state of depression so he says we must not lose hope it is not his movement or my movement or this person it is god's movement and therefore it will succeed mm -hmm. so having said all this always there should be the larger picture that divine will see to it because it's necessary for the good of the world but right now it's all just simply wonderful <laughs> the thought that came to me when i crossed the ashram i was telling that the day just about the time the results were coming out and it flashed like this i still remember it was like a light coming from here entering and it took a body of thought and passed by <laughs> I, it was an experience not just a thought out thing ah i am living in free india at last i can say i am living in free india but that time it was ah i am living in free india so it's something and right in front of ashram you yeah this was right in front of the ashram gate as i was passing by it was light coming thak then changing into words <laughs> because actually it need not translate into words and then passing out so that was the vibration which was going around full of hope and there is something wonderful and he knows the psychological side he said uh, when he was asked uh, how can why are you so confident that india will progress he you know he says something which is like a uh, psychological translation of vande matram he says when i see everybody is full of hope now if so many million people have hope then each person taking one step forward means so many million steps the country will take forward this is exactly the way vande matram goes abla ke no mai eto bole this this is the meaning of it <laughs> I just want to add a few words. Uh, I met him about five years ago. Is it on? It's on. It's on. It's on, but I think I'm not. It's on. Take the other one. Yeah, the green light on. He was very interested in in um, strengthening ties between the Hindu and Buddhists, and I had just done a Hindu-Buddhist summit. So some swamis arranged for me to meet him in Ahmedabad, and it was also at the time I had gotten very close to Kiri Joshi, and he had just brought Kiri Joshi in to help with education in Gujarat, and I was very struck by the fact that he that he brought Kiri Joshi in to help set up a university. and was trying to implement the ideas education ideas of shubhendra i thought that was very significant and i found that he was very aligned with the vedic ideals 
And so I also, my, I, I was just following this election probably more closely, well, no, as closely as I followed the U.S. election. <laughs> and, and, and I was just, you know, afraid to think how I would feel if he didn't win. Um, and it was such a, a joyous moment. Um, I think that this whole Indutra thing, Hindutva, has been, uh, what is that about? I mean, anybody who, who stands up for Vedic ideals suddenly is a, an extremist. This has been manufactured. And he has been the subject of a smear campaign. Yes. And it's, it's been hard to know how to correct that. Now, nobody will say it, maybe. But during the whole campaign, it was painful to watch the way they tried to make people ashamed of standing up for Vedic ideals. True. Um, my only concern is as India develops, what will happen to the environment? I was relieved when he made the Ganga his first stop, and, and, and I believe the Ganga is, is, is Gangama to him. But there are a lot of other voices that will come into play and make decisions, and so I think that he's a man, he's, and, and so we can't expect, I mean, it's not back to Rajaram, you know, maybe, maybe approaching that, but <laughs> it's, um, it's really good news, and we have to all do our part to help him through our prayers and meditations. I mean, I think it's a collective thing, that this man can't do it alone. He needs the, the, the goodwill and support and thinking of everybody who cares about India and the world. It's not just, it's not just for India, it's for the world. I, mean, I feel he could be a world leader you know, because we're very short on people now who can, who can be at that level. And I think he could, he could awaken the admiration in, in, a, in a lot of people around the world. So we'll see. We hope. Absolutely, a statesman. Even in his heart. established schools, educational institutions in India. Maybe you can share what is that and how to go about doing such a thing and so on. And maybe a little bit about the, the philosophy behind such schools. Philosophy is integral education. No, this one. Integral education. Yes, but I don't know what it is. Well, it take a very long time. Yes, I know. <laughs> Maybe we can communicate through email. Okay. I'll write to you. You want to hear your voice about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. 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 Hello.
lot of them. Like when I speak right with other youth, you know, people just think I'm, I'm a lunatic. Um, and I was wondering what, what do you guys think is the best way to, you know, affect the youth, to get them to start thinking and introspecting and not just get caught up in this materialistic world? What are the first steps that need to be taken? Well, I can tell you I have a very good friend, Kelly Coutrone, who is empowering hundreds of thousands of young women in America through her books, in which there are large sections devoted to mother, and the idea in America, of course, of of a woman not just having her college education, then getting married and having a baby, end of story. But that women can do much more. And uh, it's amazing how, how great a following she has now. How you do it with men, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Dina and, and Alok. <laughs> Well, I, I think that there are um, other young people who feel like you do, who may not use the same language. And um, I have found that um, a lot of young people are, are concerned about the environment, concerned about the future. What, 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 is, what are we leaving to them? What are we creating? And uh, this has been a, a something that uh, opens the discussion for deeper issues because it has to do with aspirations in life. What, what are we seeking for? Why are we destroying this planet for more and more and more and more? So it, it really opens the question of what are aspirations in life? And um, I think it, it's to find a language that's um, maybe universal, spiritual language that's universal about um, um, you know, the kind of world that you want to see. What, what kind of world do you want to work for and create? And these are like just beginning questions. As you're coming into your adult life, leaving university, thinking about what kind of work you want to do, um, well, you're beginning to, you're beginning to cr create your path. And there's your spiritual path, which means your spiritual practice, but then how is that going to manifest in the world? And, you know... That has to do with a whole vision of life. You know, do you want to have a lot of money? Do you want to work like a dog? Or do you want to value time with your family and your friends and enjoy the beauty of nature? So all these decisions, all these questions come into play as you begin to think about your future. So these are, these are things that young people coming out of college would begin to think about. So I think it's just starting with basic questions now, not, not everybody thinks, you know, some people just say, okay, I'm, you know, my father's a doctor, I'm going to medical school, or I'm going to business school so I can look up, make a lot of money. But those are probably not the kind of people that you're going to be drawn to. So it's, it's finding a few people who are thinking more seriously about their purpose in life and, and um, what kind of life they want to, what kind of path they want to set, set for themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you will find them. It, it may be a small group. It may be two or three. Um, 
So, the, so it's just looking for ways to find other people in your age group that are have the similar interests, or at least seeking. Or at least, yeah, seeking. And I think you know, being open, they may not be part of a shurbindo study group, but maybe they're looking through another way. They, they may be doing uh, mindfulness meditation or something, but at least they're or yoga. Uh, but at least their 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 spiritual side has been activated. Not for me, I'm just talking about university. Uh, there are youth camps and uh, which are dedicated only to youth, and they are held plenty of them. They are held in, uh, of course, Pondicherry ashram and now all over uh, the country in different forms. Uh, and and lot of people come, lot of youngsters join. Of course, I understand India is a country which uh, <coughs> spirituality is in the very atmosphere. I understand the thing. But, uh, you know, they are camps dedicated to the youth and they come, youngsters, um, they just grow certain ideas which are thrown in and they do invite a couple of talks by some of us. So, you know, it's like a mix of that and that way they respond. What one can do is, you know, whether they will awaken to that kind of spiritual energy or start walking the path that is not really our job but we can create an environment which is conducive uh, particularly if you feel inspired to do so so it'll be very nice that uh, next time you can get a few people to Greenville or you know within New Jersey hold a little youth camp and you know ask those who are ready and interested now if people are interested it'll be very nice if they are not interested you can't do much so that's basically uh, the way to do it and most important, one has to avoid the trappings of, you know, um, traditional religious mindset. What she said is very true, you know. Uh, the only thing necessary is the faith in spiritual conversion, that there is something more than just our limited frame of reference. And lot of youngsters respond to that. Uh, see, there are three ways. One is example. Second is uh, influence. And the third is the medium of words. So best is, of course, to live that life. Then people get drawn. Second is to carry something of that within oneself and that creates an influence, like, you know, it radiates around. And the third is the medium of words, which is... And another thing what Shubhindu says among the principles of teaching, go from near to the far. So if suddenly a truth is given which is too vast for them, it's a stone. It's too disconnected from their life, again they don't. So a lot of the reason why youth turn away is because it's totally disconnected from their life. So there are efforts which are taking place in this direction. I must tell you, plenty of them, at least in the Indian context, I've been involved with quite a number of such youth camps, etc. And uh, it works very wonderfully. So only thing is somebody has to organize it. See, otherwise what happens, it remains at the thought level. So there is no real, real effort. There is a difference between wishful thinking and real effort. So real effort would mean, okay, fine. I feel like doing it. Next time, let me organize a camp for the youth. So when, you, you know, people come and it can be organized. So many times I have told this, even I travel here, other places that, you know, when people hear some of these stories that we tell, oh, this is so wonderful, I never knew it. How nice if our youngsters would know it. Of course, yes. But someone has to organize it. Otherwise, they will never know. I mean, that step has to be taken. Most often I have seen it remains at the level of wishful thinking. Why? I do not know. Probably, you know, frankly, there is not enough uh, effort, in, yeah, enough will in that direction to 
really translate to the next level. So material is aware, people are there to communicate, who can communicate, and the youth are there who are seeking, but somebody has to bring them together. That tasks, there will be some instruments to do it. And if that can happen, it's wonderful. In India, it's done. Round the year, it is done. Beautifully. Shiovindo society is deeply engaged in this kind of work. It's done in villages. I have gone to so many places. Partho is gone. I'm sure, you know, he's involved in this kind of work in many places. It's simply wonderful. There is a wonderful teacher in Mumbai. And every year, usually two or three times a year, she brings 30 to 50 students from various schools to the ashram in Oroville. I meet them and we talk about all their problems. But the most important thing they tell me is how they miss the samadhi and how they miss the Matrimandya chamber. Mm. Mm. See? Lovely. They respond so well. Yes. Mm. It's actually encouraging to see or, you know, you talking about what's happening in the Indian context. But when Priya and I have actually gone around some cities of the U.S. where there are temples, um, it's, you know, with the bookshops at these temples basically recreate a ritual Wikipedia. Yes. And it's the old forms. It's, the, it's not one single yeah. book of, of, of substance which is over there. And it's a... You really feel... I mean, I felt really sad. I mean, I tell you what, God has run away from temples. <laughs> Last place you are going to find him there. We just went there because the friends are going there. So I mean, show them that. Show them the movie Bedazzle. They'll be, you know, more uh, educative and instructive. Bedazzle. Bedazzled. It's a lovely movie. What is it? Yeah. You know, I've not seen it. I didn't hear. Bedazzle. Yes. Bedazzle. Bedazzle. How do you pronounce it? B e d a double z l e. You not seen the movie? No, what is it called? Being here, you have not seen the movie. Oscar nomination, I have seen it while in India. I haven't seen it. What is the name of the movie? B-E-D-A-Z-L-E-D. Now I don't know how to pronounce it. No, Bidazzle is correct. Bidazzle. English movie, Hindi movie. Gujarati movie. No, no, no. English. Absolutely. English movie. It's a lovely movie. You know, there are a lot of movies like that. Which uh, so wonderfully, you know, bring out some of these things. Talking about movies, I just want to take some context. I want to go back to the, I want to take you to the field of Mahabharata, where Vimanyu is currently bursting it up. He's died, he's died. He's died. Who's died? I'm not seeing it. Huh? Abhimanyu's died? Yeah. It does take I like it. I responded very much the same when I was told Abhi Manu ka baat ho gaya. I said, Oh my God, see how many times you know it. We don't want Abhi Manu to die. This was, no, by the way, something that our present Prime Minister mentioned in the Parliament. How many times, you know? We don't want him to die. We know he's died. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go two years back where he's stuck in the Chattery. And I want to get your perspective if you could elaborate on the spiritual significance or the significance per se 
of that incident and how it starts relating, relating to us because sometimes we feel you're also kind of caught up in these kind of uh, well, yeah, the story of Abhimanyu is not connected to individual Chakravyu. It is a collective march of humanity and it connects with that, where every individual has his role to play. And the inner significance is sometimes one human being strategically sacrificing himself opens the door of victory to the many. That's the significance, inner significance of the story. So, if you see really, once Abhimanyu is sacrificed, the whole thing, the whole lot collapses. It tilts the balance. There is one of the dream dialogues of Shirobindo with Niroda, which is now published, I think, as a book. There is a book which is published, Talks of Niroda, in which one of them is relates to this incident, where he has a kind of a dialogue with Shirobindo sitting in the ashram playground um, during a movie time. And one place he is asked, he asked Shirobindo, why did Draupadi has to go through all this? And he says that tilted the balance definitively in the favor of the Pandavas and their victory was decided at that moment. So Abhimanyu's death basically is the strategic sacrifice of one human being in the march of humanity which opened the doors of victory. But individual Chakravyu is a different thing. That <laughs> but uh, you said it opened the door. What, what I still don't get what made it open. You see, from the karmic point of view, there is a balance. You see, if you read, you know, CEOs with, you know, this side wins, that side wins, there is a whole balance going on. Then something happens which completely tilts the balance in the favor of victory of one side. So Abhimanyu's death was that. With all these karvas coming together and you know, killing a, basically a child, he's a kid, 16, 17. And that action was so gory that all the cosmic forces then aligned themselves to make sure that none will survive. Already it was done, but see, Krishna has to make sure that the cosmic forces are in the right order. He can't just arbitrarily get up and say, I'm divine and I'm going to destroy everybody. He has decided. But now the cosmic forces have to align. That is a difficult task. You will see it again in, uh, again, Trojan War. That Sius has decided that now Troy must fall. But there are gods who do are not happy with this decision. They say, no, we are on the side of Troy. So he even says, withdraw yourself, withdraw your powers. But they continue, some of them. Some decide, they withdraw, though they are not happy about it. So, you know, it's not easy. The whole cosmic forces, their balance. They were also not kids. Like Surya Narayan was on the side of, you know... <laughs> Karvas because of three son. It's not an easy task. So they were gods. Gandhari had invoked Shiva. So they were gods who were on the side of Karvas. Because there were people who were, you know, propitiating them, had bhakti and all that. Whereas, of course, there were gods who were on the side of Pandavas. So balance has to be tilted. The battle is not only at this plane, at a cosmic level, because these forces will support. Bhishma himself was not an ordinary being, Vasus. They are Gandharvas of a you know high world. So eventually it got tilted when one when Draupadi's you know humiliation, that time it was decided. But in the battlefield, when Abhimanyu dies, then it's like the whole path opens up. 
Uh, I have a question. There have been two times in the Mahadev series. Uh, I tell uh, you why, I love it. <laughs> let's watch it together. Forget all this, let's clean up the, the latest episodes that I have missed. Last five episodes. Two, two times. Where, where can I buy the DVD? I'll send it to you. <laughs> two times where Vishnu and Mahadev face each other. Yes, yes. Uh, one was early on, but one was just recently with, uh, with uh, Banasur. And they have stressed me out so terribly because... Uh, how could, uh, what do you do? Quarrel <laughs> of the gods. Shirobindo speaks of it in Savitriya. But quarrel of the gods. But Narayan and Mahadev. I mean, the <laughs> two sides of one. <laughs> yes, that's true. But look, even there, they show the, they touch upon it. Basically, each god represents a certain cosmic power, hmm. and he has to be true to that power. Hmm. regardless of anything he can't act like a human being okay oh I'm sorry Narayan is now when a bhakta invokes Shiva hmm. Shiva knows that this fellow is going to misuse yet Shiva will grant him the boon first because that is the rit the vidhan the law that's the law which has been ordained so he cannot go against that law number one second because there is a freedom in each face of fate so there is a chance given to many of these asuras, maybe you still may change. But then, yes, Shiva has his own role to play. And paradoxically, most of the boons of Shiva hasten the destruction of the asura. Shiva hints at it. Hmm. You know, when you let the asura go about doing what he wants to do, it very often hastens his destruction. Hmm. And then Mahadev comes at his, then Vishnu comes at a strategic point of time when he has to preserve the balance. Now what appears actually as a fight is at that level not really a fight between two cosmic deities but both are playing their part in creating the right balance. They both know what is going to happen. This is also shown. They both mm, know they both what know. is going to come out. Yeah, yeah, so sure. actually they don't fight in that yeah. sense. It's the Leela. That's why it's called a Leela. Leela. Where yeah. through their tussle, the law of truth has to prevail. But they have to play out their part. They cannot say that, look, you know, we have decided anyways he is going to do this mischief. So Shiva will say no. Now what happens in the process, there is a perfection in the play. A completeness in the play. Now imagine if Banasur takes the case of Banasur, mm. since you mentioned that, you know, he is told, why are you giving this boon? What is going to happen? You know, already he knows that one day if this boon is given, he and Vishnu will have to stand face to face and fight. Now, imagine a scenario where this boon was not given. Shiva listened to Narayana and said, okay, fine, I'm going to change my law of functioning because you got a point there and I'm not going to give it. Now what happens? Banasur all his life does tapasya and dies a disgruntled man, whatever. I mean, because his tapas will never bring fruit. Now, it is not only about Banasur. 
it is about a whole civilization a way of life about usha anirudh all these characters who have to come into the play play out their part evolve what would happen to that beautiful love story which is in the womb of banasur thanks to this bone usha and anirudh's love becomes a you know an example for the world to follow it's actually shobinda has written on this you know has he yes yes usha and anirudh ha this this is wonderful because now when there are two protagonists it's the same thing like in savitri you have this magical line this was the day when satyavan must die why did savitri the divine mother have to choose somebody who is going to die see that is why human beings are not given for knowledge because if they are given for knowledge they would start manipulating the system <laughs> but gods have the full knowledge yet they play out that part so this is what is shown in all these again the first story of confrontation is the reverse if you see it that way it is vishnu who has followed the law of bhakti and gone and gone into the subconscious worlds with these you know four or five women of that world who have called him and he becomes and also that story you know mansa that mm, parvati becoming yeah. because she doubts so you know yeah, she yeah, goes yeah, and yeah, the tapas yeah. so again there this question is raised why he is doing this why is allowing this that vidyamayi ma parvati becomes mm. avidyamayi mm-hmm. now you see it's very interesting that manasa's thoughts have a influence on parvati she comes and fights with yes. mahadev right. and she affects parvati because she is nature mm-hmm. so all over the world it is shown that there is all these you know doubts all this chaos starts mm. and now parvati has to embody it and because she embodies it she takes birth in a obscure place see interesting you know that what's what is the name of that you know parvati becomes that lady bilni bilni the tribal lady yeah tribal now you see who is a tribal is the most obscure consciousness possible so divine mother forgets herself it's the same story of vedas repeated here divine mother forgets herself so completely that she takes part birth in the most obscure place and she even doesn't understand that shiva will obviously know who she is right right i mean <laughs> all of us know it she doesn't know it it's amazing isn't it yeah. so she has become the most obscure consciousness and from that point now the evolution has to arise and as she changes manasa undergoes a change so you know oh, that's true i didn't make that connection yeah so yeah, that's yeah. how this story works so these stories are interwoven where through the uh, you know tussle of the gods the uh, quarrel of the gods and they're coming together the fate of the cosmos is evolving that's right i was so, so found you know, that usha and anurudh they are yeah. so important characters and we know that you know is the same karma and repetitions they are also connectedness mm. since we're on the stories now i think you mentioned mark and maya and you mentioned dame and the brother no. in the last two days <laughs> i don't know what stories if people are interested of you mark and the stories is very simple no you're going somewhere Oh, okay, fine, fine. Okay, so Markandi's story is very simple. Markandi is born to a, a parents who aspire that we want Shiva himself as the child. 
So Shiva says, all right, I can come. But now I am adding my own bit to the story. <laughs> he says that I can come in a human consciousness. But mind you, the human consciousness cannot hold me for long. Now why I am adding is because it has relevance in many stories that happen. Human consciousness cannot hold me for long. So 12 years down the line, this child will return back. So you make a choice. If you want me to come, this is how it will be. Or else, if you don't want, I can grant you the boon of an ordinary child who will live long. So these people say, no, we want you, even if it is 12 years. So they nurture Narishimi with a Shiv Bhakta. And obviously the moment comes when death opens its door and says, your time is up. And at that point, Markande, being ultimately Shiva's own Ansha, he throws himself at the feet of Mahakal. He is Mahakal. No, he decides the cycles of time by his dance. That is why, you know, Kali is one of the aspects of Parvati. So when he throws himself, Shiva himself appears and says, he has taken refuge in me and death cannot touch. So that is the story of Markande becoming immortal. It's a very interesting story about escaping the snare of death by going further about divine consciousness embodying in a human consciousness is a very very painful thing we don't understand we take it so lightly you know mother's coming mother's coming we celebrate it and when you read mother says in Savitri one of the things Savitri is about the uh, suffering that the divine mother has to undergo in the process of adaptation to material life which is full of falsehood and unconsciousness so it's very hard to hold the flame of God in that thing this is, I am not going into many aspects of the story. Naldamyanti is even more fascinating. It is about, Sri Aurobindo again wrote a little bit about Nala and Damyanti, started writing, never completed it. And about Markande, there is a poem of Sri on Markande. So, you know, there is a touch of Sri on that. So, Nala Damyanti story is a very fascinating story where Nala and Damyanti are, you know, in different places and Suddenly through the swan they get connected because there were no mobile phones I guess. So the swan's symbol of the soul in the dream just like you know Usha and Anirudh story. So in a dream uh, Damyanti gets a vision of her would-be husband. And then they get connected to each other whatever be the means to. Now meanwhile her father Damyanti's father arranges a swamvar. Now all the gods eye on her. So they all want that, you know, yeah, we'll take five, seven minutes. Yeah. So, you know, they want to really go on to um, woo Damyanti. Now, while the gods are hastening to Damyanti, Nal now already knows that she's going to choose me. So Nal is on the way and the gods tell him, where are you going? So Nal says, I'm going there to get married to Damyanti. He doesn't say that. He said, I'm going to that palace for the Swambar. God say, oh, you are going there, carry our message. What is that message? Choose us. Now, you know, Nala says, God, fate has crashed before it started. No way now, gods and mere mortal. So Nala goes there and tells Damyanti, look here, you know, I can tell you for sure, gods want you. So please leave me aside. I am done. She says, no, no, you come. Now, all the gods, when they come to know that she has not agreed, they change their forms into Nala's form. And all these Agni, you know, it's a very symbolic story, you know, Nal Damyantiya's story of the soul and nature. But you will see the symbol. So, they all stand there wanting to be chosen. 
now there the poets marvel how he has presented you know there is a vidusha quest to introduce all of them to the bridegroom so in sanskrit language now they are all look alike what does he say this is also null this is also null so the marvel of sanskrit language that just with a little difference of stress on the syllables he changes the meaning a nala agni anala you see the difference yeah anala so like that same shloka he introduces all of them but by stressing the difference of syllables gives damyanti the hint then damyanti goes around even she wants to still make sure and she sees that all these gods are wearing the same mala but only nala's mala garland is showing flowers which are you know drying up and the gods are not blinking so she catches puts it in the the true nalas then the gods say okay fine we bless you and they are disappointed but fine because mortal is after all you know but he carries something which is much greater then meanwhile kali has also decided to be a suitor but he is a bit late when he comes to know oh she has married nala he gets very annoyed he say i am going to make sure that she gets separated so he tries everything you know nala plays uh, again the game of dice with his brother loses everything brother is a cheat a crook and nala and damyanti have to abandon with just a pair of clothes on the way they don't know what to do so they see a geese they want to you know he wants to catch that geese then from his body he takes out half the cloth and tries to catch the geese flies away with the cloth it's a very interesting story then at night they are sleeping in a place and even his clothes are taken away and he doesn't know what to do while he is going out to fetch something for his wife even his wife is you know accosted by some highway men and of course he finally escapes a whole adventure so eventually nal is left not even with a piece of cloth in his body wife kingdom everything gone now the spirit of the story he doesn't break down and his wife doesn't give up so both of them have this thing that now we have to meet and then there is a lot of story woven around fate and eventually they come together it's a long story it's a amazing story about the human spirit about human love and it's a story about soul and nature that soul that is completely denuded and once again reclaims its nature so that's how the story is in its symbol and i am getting repeatedly all these signals from behind so i'm cutting the long story short